On today's episode of Lockdown Pistons Podcast, we are joined by Detroit Pistons beat writer Omari Sankofa to talk about the state of the Detroit Pistons, how rough it is right now, and how or what's going to happen moving forward with this team. Stay tuned for all that in today's episode of the Lockdown Pistons Podcast. You are Locked On Pistons, your daily Detroit Pistons podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's the deal? Welcome back to another episode of the Lockdown Pistons podcast. Per usual, I'm your host, Kuka Hill. You can find me over on Twitter, at Kuka Hill. I want to thank you guys for making Lockdown Pistons your first listen of every single day. We're free and available on all your podcast platforms. If you haven't already, head to the YouTube channel, at Lockdown Pistons. Hit that subscribe button or leave us a five-star review. Whatever podcast platform you're listening to this on, that's another great way to support the podcast. And today's episode is brought to you by Price Picks. The easiest and most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports, go to prizepicks.com slash LockedOnNBA and use code all lowercase LockedOnNBA for a first deposit match up to $100. So, like I said, we are joined, as you guys on YouTube can see, Omari Sankofa, the second of the Detroit Free Press. He is Detroit Pistons beat writer. He's been on the show multiple times. Omari, thank you for taking time out of your day on the road in Atlanta with the team um, to come onto the podcast. I really appreciate it. Um, but let's go ahead and get right into it. I don't want to waste too much of your time. So I'm going to suggest everyone who's listening to the podcast to go check out Omari's article he just wrote. Was it last night you wrote it? Yeah, like during the day. Like I wrote most of it before the game, and then you update after. But I figured it would be pretty evergreen given the last month. So, yeah, it went up today. So I want everyone to go check it out because we're going to be referencing. Basically, I'm going to have like the whole podcast really built around that article. I thought, one, it was great. Um, and two, it, it – I think a lot of fans, and I know a lot of fans have been going out to beat writers and for like things that are like kind of out of your guys' control. Like you guys are just reporting a lot of like what's going on. Like you guys don't control the moves that are made. Yeah. You guys don't, you know, all that stuff. Um, but I, I think some of the sense amongst the fans is that they really just want someone to really like to say what it is. Like they just want someone to come out and be like, this is terrible. Something has to happen. Like they want, they want accountability basically. And they know they can't really anybody accountable and they feel like the only people who can are people like you or someone else and while that may not be as true as they think um i think a lot of people will enjoy your article because they felt like in that article you were very straightforward with what's going on you were like you didn't hide you didn't sugarcoat anything i think a lot of people will enjoy that um one of the spots that, that we're going to start off with i want to take away from it is you you asked the question out loud and they're like what is enough and you talked about you know if, if things keep going this badly, something might have to change. My question for you is, what do you think is enough? Because I think a lot of people, like I was talking to my friends earlier who read your article and they hit me up and like, who, you, you know, you talk with Amari about this. I'm like, hey, I'm actually going to be interviewing him later. And they were like, you know, he says, you know, what is enough? And I'm like, it's 23 games in a row, not enough. Like at what point, like what point does this losing streak have to get to, to where it's like, okay, now you hit the red button. In your opinion, what do you think that is? I think it's the point where, ownership looks at the product and they can say without a shadow of a doubt that there is no chance we can salvage this and you lose 23 straight games you're like well we're already there right i mean we haven't won a game since october uh you went out of november without a win uh we're more than halfway through december uh, so i'm not won a game and you're five games away from tying the all-time record and things are pretty bad right i mean you can't imagine the worst start and then starting two and 24, but I think because it's happened so early in the season, that's what 
still inspires some faith that you get that first win and you know the team's gotten healthier and then maybe that first win could begin to pull you out of this funk that you're in and who not like that may not happen i mean you know one win may not do that but i think along with that you just look at how much they've invested into this front office how much tom gorris paid monty williams which you know of course could be up to 100 billion over eight years than just all the time they put into developing these guys. And this season, in a lot of ways, is just a season they circled as a we're up next type of year, right? Like this is a year where everything we've been building can begin to pay off. And we're not even one third into the season. And this is like the worst start to any Pistons season we've ever seen. I mean, it's one of the worst starts to any NBA team ever we've ever seen. And I think it's so so really bad that maybe there's still some sense of disbelief like this cannot be what we built over the last four years i think along with that you look at what making that type of big shakeup now whether it's firing monty like you know two months into his deal or you know firing Troy, whatever that may be that doesn't necessarily save this season right so you've already put this much faith into the people in charge and i believe the thought process is just I don't want to say we have nothing to lose, but there's so much season left that there's still something that could probably be done to turn this thing around, you know, because they have faith in the guys they drafted. They have faith in the uh, people they put in that front office and they still have some faith in the head coach. But along with that, there's obviously a strong sense of disappointment as well for everybody. I mean, it's a disaster. You've lost 23 straight games. There's no way you can really say anything else about that. I mean, it's just an abject failure. Uh, so what's enough? I mean, I think that's that could be a moving target. You know, it could already be enough, and they're just waiting for the right – like, who, who knows, right? But after 23 straight games, I think it's fair to say that uh, this has already been a complete failure, and you have to do something, right? Uh, you can't just sit on your hands and allow this to continue. Uh, you know, I believe Trey and, you know, Monty, like, they will continue to get some more grace to try to figure this thing out. Just because it's so early in the year, like we're not even through the one third mark, like for a lot of people don't even tune in until Christmas. So at what point does that become too much? You know, I really don't know. Again, you've lost 23 straight games. So, you know, at this point, it's like, what's next? But and things can get worse. Things can get worse. I mean, you know, we haven't had any true locker room angst yet where you hear about locker room. Like when I was in Memphis, they had like a locker room fight (laughs) the year before they drafted John. You know, like things can get worse. That hasn't gotten to that point yet. But. Yeah, I mean, 23 straight games. I mean, I can't sit here. Nobody can sit here and say that that's an acceptable number of games to lose. Like, that's the worst-case scenario. And that's the question. What is enough? What is enough? I guess we're going to find that out. So, I think my answer with this, obviously, at any point during this long losing streak, after you got past, like, 13, I guess, whatever, like, somewhere around there, you, I think anyone could start to make the argument, like, okay, that's enough. Mm-hmm. After In each game afterwards, I think one could make the argument, okay, that's enough, that's enough, that's enough. Um I've been saying that change needs to happen, whether it's, you know, front office change, whether it's head coaching change, whether it's roster change, something needs to change for a minute. But for me, I think it, I think enough was the last game against um, the Philadelphia 76ers where Cade looked completely checked out. He only, only taken four shots. He looked completely out of it. Once you, cause I think you saw throughout this streak, you're seeing it break, break the guys. And, it's not just about losing. That's when it really becomes enough where like you're losing games, you're not competitive. And then now you're starting to see the young guys start checking out. Now you're seeing them get mentally broken within a game. 
Um, Asar kind of spoke about it after one of the games I was at, uh, I believe last week. Some, I think someone asked them about, you know, are you guys just like heading into the games, like mentally broken? Like, are you guys like already broke? And he was like, I don't think we're broken. I just think when we get like hit with a run, we're easier to get like broken. Like it's easier for us to get broken down. We can't. I think you're seeing that on full display that guys are, as soon as they get hit at all, it's like, you can see it on the court. They get, it's just over with, it's done. And I don't think you had seen that from Cade to this point, but in that Philly game, you very clearly saw a dude broke. He, he not, not like forever broken, but in that game, in that moment, he was mentally broken down. He was, this is too much. I can't, we can't do nothing about this. We're just not good enough. We're not going to win this game. This is like, I, he just checked out and you've seen every, I think you've seen every other player at some point so far do that, but you hadn't seen it from Cade yet. And when you see it from your franchise guy, your leader, your number one guy, when you see him finally get broken down, it's like, dude, this is just enough. I think that's, that was the moment right there. I was like, yeah, this is done. Like there's no, like it, it has to, something has to change because not only I agree with you that like may, just firing Troy or firing Arntellum or firing Monty or firing any of these guys, it's not going to like turn them into a playoff team. But I think at some point, you know, you, I hear some player, former players talk about how there's just like an extra jolt that gets hit when like something changes, like you get a little adrenaline rush where something happens, a change can like kind of spark a team. And when, I think more so than just the product on the floor, like more so just the roster construction, like you need to have like these guys spirit somewhat high, somewhat like believing in themselves. And you can, I think you can clearly see on the floor, they don't believe anymore. They don't believe that they can win these games. They don't believe they can be competitive. And once you reach that point, I think that's when it's just like, okay, because now you, you, like you said, they're a young team. They believe in the young guys you develop that you've drafted, but it doesn't matter if those young guys have now gotten to such a point where they feel like, we have no shot when we come out here. We have no chance. We're done. And, like, as soon as they get hit, you can see it. So I think some kind of change needs to happen. I think that, for me, that's when change was, okay, that's enough. When K checks out. And, you know, I, I don't know how much you've heard. I don't know what you you want, you can say or cannot say. Obviously, I've heard things are not great going on behind the scenes. I mean, obviously, they've lost 23 straight games. Um, obviously, things aren't going to be great. But I have heard things are not, you know – all sunshine and rainbows, obviously behind the scenes. So um, I, I think whether, no matter what it is, I think that extra jolt or just change of anything can like give some kind of adrenaline to this team that they maybe need at somehow. Um, but one of the things I do want to hit on, I think the changes that actually could help is roster changes. And I think that is something that they should be very aggressively trying to do um, and we'll talk about that when we come back. But first, I need to tell you guys a little bit about one of our sponsors, Price Picks. And for me, I love Price Picks because I think it's the best daily fantasy option out there. It's so simple, very easy, and it has literally every sport you can think of on there, whether it's basketball, baseball, football, it even has esports on there. It has everything you could possibly think of on Price Picks, and that's why it's the best daily fantasy sports option out there. You might be asking me, Koo, what is Price Picks? Well, you simply go on to Price Picks, and you pick more or less than two to six players, stat projections, and watch the winnings roll in. And one of the other things that I love about Price Picks, not only is it super easy, not, not only is it super self-explanatory, not only can you do cross-sports entries, not only does it have any sport you could possibly think of, Price Picks is one of the only options out there that offers a reboot policy so that your entries stay in play even if one of your players gets injured. I know a lot of us who are involved in daily fantasy 
when your player goes down the first half, you consider it a GG. It's over with. But not with prize picks. With football and basketball games, if you have a player who exits the game in the first half and does not return in the second, that player is rebooted. Price picks is the only daily fantasy sports platform with an injury insurance policy. So that's why you should go to pricepicks.com slash locked on NBA and use code locked on NBA for a first deposit match up to a hundred dollars. Again, go to pricepicks.com at lock.com slash locked on NBA. That's L O C K E D O N M B A for a first deposit match up to a hundred dollars. That's with price picks, which is daily fancy made easy. So I want to thank you guys again for making Locked On Pistons your first listen of every single day. We're free and available on all your podcast platforms. If you haven't already, head to the YouTube channel at Locked On Pistons. Hit that subscribe button or leave us a five-star review on whatever podcast platform you're listening to us on. That's another great way to support the podcast. So Amari, continuing on with the changes and, and kind of following along with what you wrote in your article. Um, I think roster changes, while I don't think it was long them into like playoff mode or anything that's done like play in like that's out the window it's gone um i do think roster changes could provide a environment for these young guys that apparently they believe in that they can actually have a chance to compete every night that they can actually be developed that they actually can put a competitive fun um just just a good environment on the floor that they don't have right now and I think that's one of the more concerning things about this season so far. Not only, at least for me, I think a lot of fans, the big worry is the fact that obviously they're losing a lot of games. And obviously that is a big deal too. But even before the year, I didn't think this team was going to be very good. I, I had said multiple times, I didn't think that they were going to be higher than a 13th seed. Now I didn't see 23 straight games, potentially the worst NBA season ever in, in their future. But like, I, I, I didn't see too many good things coming anyways. Um, with that said, not only are they losing games, I think they're just eliminating every possibility of even developing guys. Like, I think you're starting to see guys develop bad habits. You're starting to see guys, just, like I said earlier in the in the episode, just give up and mentally break down. Um, guys are taking – Monty kind of talked about at the end of the last game, I think, or two games ago. You're not even seeing, like, the .5 second offense anymore. You, like, it's just guys are holding onto the ball. The first few games you saw them moving the ball. Now they're not even doing that. Like, everything's just falling apart. So not only are you losing games, the young guys aren't getting better. They're not developing good stuff. Like, everything possible is falling down. And I think with a different type of roster, making some roster moves, that could save them. Uh, I think that could save some of that and really help develop this team. Um, I think that's their biggest downfall, how bad the roster construction is. They don't have wing depth. They don't have shooting. Um, I know they tried to say that they addressed shooting before the season. I was question, questioning that before the year. And Joe Harris, who has been in and out, Still wouldn't even really be in the rotation anyways. Um, Boyan, we see that Boyan dropped 33 the other night. They still lost by 30. Like, it's, they need somebody on the wings, like 6'8", 6'9", 6'10", like big wings that can actually shoot the basketball. Um, and I think they need a backup center. Um, along all these things, I think that could help this team. I want to ask you, do you think there's potential moves that they could make, and do you think potential moves at what positions, in your opinion, could help this team. Yeah, I think there are potential moves that they can make. I mean, at this point, you have to make a move, right? You know, this it's clear that the roster as currently constructed can't compete. Uh, you touched on it earlier. I mean, you see guys, it just seems like every week of this losing streak has been worse than the last, and not just because that streak is longer, but the margins of the losses are also getting bigger. Uh, it seems like when the streak was around six or seven, it's still like, but they're still fighting, right? And when you look at pretty much since 
maybe that Memphis game, maybe a little bit before that's at the point to where it's like, okay, like, I don't know if this team can necessarily do that. So kind of going back to like what button you can hit, you can do that with a trade. And again, like I was watching this roster as a clear indeed for a forward. And, you know, that's my expectation of the route that they would go. Uh, this roster just in general, we do this coming into the season, but maybe not the extent that it would limit the team, but there's just a lot of, duplicated rows on the roster and not enough of like the rows you need. You know, you have James Wiseman, Marvin Bagley, and Jalen Duran, who are all pick and roll centers. Like no team needs three pick and roll centers. You have Isaiah Stewart, who's a lone big that can shoot. And he's played the four a lot. I mean, of course the team wanted that, but just roster they could be out to play him at the four. And I think their most competitive game of the last two weeks was actually still at the five. Uh, we saw Kay getting to the, uh, the rim a lot more against Indiana. Granted, Indiana's not a great defensive team. I think they're one of the worst, but, you know, still you see the difference there. Um, I think the question is just from an asset standpoint, what can you whip together? Uh, this team does have expiring deals in Monte Morris, Alec Burks, uh, Boyan Bogdanovic, Joe Harris, all those guys are on expiring. Uh, you know, you could, if there's a salary dump available, you could look at doing something like that. You don't have a first round pick to trade until 2028, I believe, but even then, this team's out of the position really to be giving up first round picks to move the needle forward. And I guess the question now is what realistically can you do uh, to get this roster more balanced? But that's where they're at. Like they clearly have a need for wing defense. Uh, it's interesting because Trey, I believe, acknowledged this, uh, you know, previously earlier this year, and they just didn't quite accomplish that. He drafted Asar, of course, and, you know, Asar has been solid defensively, but I think you kind of get back into uh, you know, another wing that can't shoot. And, you know, I had somebody asked me the other day where they're supposed to play him in more pick and rolls. And I'm like, yeah, but, you know, they had two bigs out and they're going against these big front courts. And uh, you also have a, a pick and roll forward on a team with three pick and roll bigs. Like, you can't pick four pick and rolls for everybody. You know, like, like everybody can't roll. Uh, you need some guys who are going to spread the uh, floor. And uh, to me, it's just more fit issues. So how you consolidate the roster and balance things out, I think that remains to be seen, uh, you know, you look at guys who are in the middle of that that salary range, like Marvin Bagley. Uh, he's making about twelve point five billion a year. Uh, there are some guys that you could probably make things happen with, but can you get a difference maker uh, with the assets the team currently has? And I think that's the big question. Uh, can you make a deal in time to stop the streak, or do you have to wait until teams get more desperate around the February trade deadline when you have teams that these are low salary, right? I think there's just a lot that's unknown right now and they're very much figuring things out on the fly because again i just don't think they came into the season with the expectation that they would possibly need to make some sort of emergency deal that's in the third of the season then just to get the roster a little bit more life yeah i, I think the biggest thing to me is that you know we'll talk about this later on in the third segment but like you really hit on i think the roster construction is by far the biggest issue with this team and it's kind of shocking. Like in the off season, I know a lot of fans were trying to look, you know, be super positive. Oh, play in here we come, like all that stuff. Like looking at this roster, like you just hit on it, the roster construction is like I, I it's nothing short of I, I don't want to sound like offensive, but it's like terrible. Like the strip, like the roster construction is not good. Like you mentioned, they have three bigs who will all pick and roll bigs. And once Duran goes, I've said this so many times in the podcast that outside of Duran the other two backup bigs that you have are not defensive guys. Like they, they're not good defenders. So when Duran goes down, you don't have anybody that can come in and play the five defensively. You basically have two of the same type of player in Wiseman Bagley. I mean, they're basically essentially the same player. And um, even with that kind of reading between the lines early in the year, I remember I tweeted when Monty said, uh, 
you know, Wiseman and Bagley are competing for the backup big spot and they kind of inadvert well, I won't say inadvertently, but uh it kind of went viral and the TO kind of saw it as like, oh, you have these two from number two picks and they're just coming off the bench because they're not good. It really it was just more so Miles looking at the roster and saying you can't play Wiseman and Bagley, right? You just can't when Duran is clearly the, the the starter. And then I asked him about Jaden Ivey last week. Like, you know, he came in season more off ball. And now you're talking about playing the more on ball. They explained why he had Ivey as an off ball guy. But a lot of that, again, is just who are you going to put uh, – who are you going to give the ball to? Killing is probably the most efficient passer on the team. You want K to have the ball, obviously. Now they're playing him a little bit more off ball. Uh, you know, Sasser has a more ball-dominant style. Like, you know, maybe there's some hope that he would come in and be able to be more of a floor spacer if that doesn't really materialize. Again, just positional overlap, right? You just look up and down the roster, and I think the coaching staff was aware of that coming in, right? Like, they have to put some guys in rows that they may have to be comfortable in just to make this work. And we're seeing that compound now into, you know, just certain rows not being filled because you have guys in those rows who aren't necessarily suited for that. And the crazy the thing that hurts the team the most is that they have position overlap at, like, some of the – like positions that other NBA teams don't have. To, like other NBA teams will have a lot of wings because it's a wing league. And the Pistons, the one position they just don't have any at are, is the wings. They have an overload of centers who can't play defense and can't spread the floor. And then they have an overload of guards who I think the guard room probably has been the one maybe solo bright spot if you want to really squint your eyes at it. Because Cade, I think, despite what's going on, I think Cade looks better. Maybe not as good as people want him to look, but I do think he looks better. I think Ivy in the limited minutes he's played has looked better offensively and defensively he's seen some spurts. I think Killian has looked better this year. So it's like though the guard room, but even still, like you mentioned, there's some overlap with what they do on, at the guard position. And then, like I just said about the center position, and then they just don't have enough wings that do what they need. And I kind of, you know, Isaiah Livers is a player that's kind of been over, I think overrated a bit by the fan base because he's the lone guy that has the ability to play some defense and shoot the ball. Like he doesn't do either one. I would say great, but he's the only one that can do like either one at like a passable level. So he gets like loved by the fan base because he's the only guy that can, and they just don't have anyone else that can do it. So I think the roster construction has just been so it's honestly shockingly like bad at this point that, you know, this was kind of like the roster that they came into the season with. Um, I just saw a tweet earlier that talked about, you know, it's from B-Ball Index, and it was talking – I don't know if you saw it, but it was talking about uh, guys, guards who get to the rim the most and also finish at the highest, uh, you know, when you take into into consideration rim quality shots and how much they get to the rim, and Cade's at the very top right. Like, he's generating the most looks at the rim, and when you take into consideration, like, the quality of those looks, how hard he's taking – like, how hard these shots are, he's at the top as well. Like, the fact that you have this player, I feel like a lot of people knew before this season, like, I don't think it's too hard to know, like, what best suits Cade. Um, the fact that you come into the season with no, you know, real shooting on the wings, no athleticism on the wings really outside of Asar, who also can't shoot. You know, not bringing any spacing and, you know, that kind of thing. I think it's just, along with everything going on, it's just kind of like what's going on here. So that's why I think they really do need to get a wing, maybe even two if they can. I know that's probably not going to be able to happen, but, like, just being able to revamp your wing room is like really big. I think um, I know they've been linked to Tobias Harris a little bit and OG Ananobi a little bit. Um, we'll see who else comes up available, but yeah, I, I think they need desperately to change this roster around. Cause it just not, I, I don't think no matter, even if the players, like I don't think players were giving up this entire losing streak. 
I think they've just been outplayed. They just don't have a good enough roster with what they have. Like, so like you mentioned again, they were trying hard. They were just losing. And now they've kind of get to the point where they're like, well, it's over with now. I, even if they came out next and, and, and tried their absolute hardest and believed with utmost ability, they'd still lose because their roster just isn't, it just doesn't make much sense. So it, that's where they're at right now. I think a move needs to happen. Um, when we come back, I want to ask you a question. Has it been a lie or has it been a failure? And you'll see where I'm going with that when we come back. You might have an idea of what I'm talking about already, but we'll talk about that when we come back. But first, I've got to tell you guys about one of our sponsors, FanDuel. As the weather gets colder, and, tell, and, and trust me, man, it's absolutely freezing in Michigan. I'm like, I'm wearing a hoodie, sweatpants. It's cold as hell here. The NFL offers stay hot, though, on FanDuel. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's $150 if your team wins. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is so easy to use, and there's a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. A few years ago, when betting became legal in Michigan, I was wondering, what, what app should I go with here? Where What is the best one for me? And I checked out FanDuel. And I haven't turned back since. FanDuel's been absolutely amazing to me. It's, again, another one that's just super self-explanatory, very easy to use. You get paid instantly and super fun. There's all kinds of things you can do on FanDuel. So visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and kick off the NFL season. Get started with the NBA season and new customers. Customers, again, get that $150 in bonus bets if you win any $5 money line bet. So visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to kick off the NFL season. That's with FanDuel, the official partner of the NFL. So I want to thank you guys again for making Locked On Pistons your first listen of every single day. We're free and available on all your podcast platforms. If you haven't already, head to the YouTube channel at Locked On Pistons. Hit that subscribe button or leave us a five-star review on whatever podcast platform you're listening to this on. That's another great way to support the podcast. All right, Amar, I want to ask you this question, man. Has this season been a lie or has it been a failure? And I, when I say that, I mean, you kind of mentioned it earlier in the first segment. Troy Weaver before this year, or after last season, he wrote a letter to the fan base. He talked about how they have a bunch of fat, uh, or, uh, cap space. They have a bunch of cap space. They have a high draft pick. That they're going to be making moves, and this will not be the team you see next year. This will not be the same product that you see next year. This is not up to the Detroit Pistons brand, yada, 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 all that stuff. And he was right. They had a lot of cap space. They had potential to make all kinds of changes to the roster, add people to the team. And they decided to go the route of using their first-round pick on the SAR. And then really, I mean, call it what it is, some salary dumps in, in Joe Harris. They absorbed a second-round pick with him to take him. And Washington was really trying to move off of Monte Morris's salary, which is why you were able to get him for just a second-round pick. And that's what absorbed all their cap space. They didn't go out in free agency, get some – high-quality players that didn't go in free agency and get some guys that would help really, you know, help develop the team, much like you saw the Houston Rockets do. The Houston Rockets went out and got some guys that maybe they overpaid for but have not helped the development of that team, of Jabari Smith Jr., of obviously Alperum Sangoon, Jalen Green. Like, these guys are getting better, and the team's looking better because they invested in some some of the resources in that. This is didn't do that. Then to start this year, obviously, we see what's happened this year. Before the start of this year, Weaver said that his goal for this team was for them to be competitive this year. Like you mentioned earlier, for this really be like their Orlando Magic year when they're like, oh, yeah, we see the Pistons are coming. This is the year. And I believe his exact quote was to be playing competitive games in April, which means doesn't mean they have to be in the play-in, doesn't mean they have to be in the playoffs, but it means when that time comes around, they're not you know resting their bets again. They're not resting 
guys that can help them win games again. They're, you know, they're not trying to tank for Wembenyama again. Like they're actually playing games that could mean something. And December 17th, when we're recording this, that's obviously not going to be the case. It's over with. So my question to you is this. Now I've said this multiple times on the podcast. I've said it to my listeners. It, these, there's only two routes that you can go with this. Either one, you lied that this was going to be, this was the season, you know, for them to be, you know, we're here. This is the Pistons coming. We want to be playing competitive games at the end of April. You know, we could potentially be a playing team. We want to be playing good, like competitive games. We think we could be decently good, maybe not playoff good, but we could be like a, you know, every night you can't sleep on us. We'll be able to beat you kind of good. Either you lied about that being the case or the, the only other route you could go with is either lied or you failed desperately at that being what was going to happen. So, and e- neither one, it's not like either one's good. Each, each route ends up in the bad scenario. Like either way, you're ended up in the car accident at the end of the road. Like either way, it's happening. It's just how you get there. So my question to you is this, which route do you think it was? Do you think that maybe the front office and the ownership and the organization was kind of, you know, you know, people front offices all the time and ownership all the time. They say stuff to the, to the fan base, to the media, just to like, you know, get stuff off their back and kind of like, you know, lip service kind of thing. Was it more lip service that they've been ha- saying and they had a different plan all along? Or do you think that actually was their plan? And he just, he's just failed at it tremendously so far. I say fail. I would say if they knew that the season would be this bad, they would have made different decisions over the offseason. I don't think that they intentionally laid a trap for themselves where you placate the fan base after you, I mean, blatantly take for, for, for Wimby. I mean, there's another way to put it, right? You know, you lose 23 or 25 and like all your best players are sitting out at the end. Um, I don't think they did that just to placate the fan base. I think they did it with the expectation uh, to even like double down on that uh, you know, during media day, when uh, Troy says we're going to compete every night and this and that, uh, they set expectations that this team has just horribly failed to live up to. And I do not think that the front office would have willingly laid that trap for itself. Uh, you don't want to create bad PR intentionally. You create bad PR generally unintentionally. And I think that they expected the roster would take steps forward that just have not happened. You know, I think they trusted their player development. I think they surveyed the free agency market. Uh, I know Cam Johnson was pretty high on their list, but they weren't willing to commit the money would have taken to pry him away. And, you know, again, like he probably would have could have went for like a, a Kuzma. Kuzma came into the LCA and made it his own house a few weeks ago. Uh, I think they would have went a different route. I think if they knew that things would be this bad, they would not. Well, for money, probably wouldn't have written that letter, you know, because the book or people are bringing that letter up now, like, We'll look at where we are now, right? You know, I don't think he would have done that if he do it. It would be this bad, but I think they just miscalculated the roster fit. I think they miscalculated uh, the readiness of the young players and just the extent that they would be able to get away with essentially preserving their cap space going into next season. Uh, you know, also along with that, uh, I believe there's some expectation that Joe Harris would be better than he's been. You know, if we're talking about like Joe Harris two years ago, then you know I think that this is a completely different team, right? Uh, and then Monte Morris has been hurt, so, you know, so he traded for a backup point guard who also would have provided some more spacing and some more stability, and he hasn't played a game yet. So I think there's probably some bad luck in there, but a lot of it is just miscalculations that have piled onto each other and have led the team to where it is now. So we'll wrap up the podcast with this. And if you can't go too and far into this, I completely understand why you can't. But I'll bring it up. I've heard... Over the last few months, going all the way back to the offseason, I've heard from numerous different people that, and I just want to know if you can confirm, deny, or bring anything to the table of this discussion with this. 
I've heard that there's, you know, the saying that there's too many cooks in the kitchen. Have you heard that saying before? Oh yeah, yeah I, absolutely. I, I've heard numerous, I've heard from numerous people over the last few months that there is something to that with the Pistons that there's, you know, I think you saw some of it reported. I think it was Jake Fisher's article. I can't remember which one it was. It might've been Jake Fisher. I don't, I don't want to credit the wrong person, but one of those, I think it was a Yahoo or it might've been Mark Stein. I, I don't remember who it was, but that, you know, there was some of the, you know, Weaver wanted Kevin Ali and then other guys in the front office, like Arn Tellerman. I don't, it's Stefanski still in the front office. I believe he is, right? He is, but I think people overstate the role that he, he, he plays. You know, it's more so, it's not Ed's show. This is Troy's show. I'll say that. Okay. So there was Troy wanted Kevin Ali. There was, you know, it was said in there that, you know, Steph, or Tellum wanted, I think it was Charles Lee. And then Tom Gores came in and was like, we're going after Monty. And then obviously, we saw the actions play out. They initially went after Monty. He said no, and then they went and you know offered him the biggest contract ever. And he said, "Okay, whatever. Here's the money. I'll take it." Um, so going all the way back to that, then you know that just heard it through multiple different moves. That pretend I'm not going to go into all of it right now, but there's just been multiple things I've heard over the last few months that you know maybe some things could have gone differently. Maybe some things you know were considered to go differently, but they're just the front office wasn't on the same page, and it led to this. Can you? bring anything to that discussion that you're allowed to bring and you feel comfortable bringing it, or you could just shut it down and say, I'm completely off and the people I'm hearing from is wrong. No, no, I'm not going to say that. Uh, I mean, I wrote in my story today, like it would be easy to just kind of pin all of this on Troy Weaver, but this has like been a group effort <laughs> to get the team to where it is now. Uh, you know, it's not like, you know, I think it's not uncommon in any front office for, you know, people to take different roles or, you know, have disagreements or this and that, you know, I think a lot of it's been reported for the Pistons simply because it seems bad. Uh, but, you know, I, in a lot of front offices, you don't just have one person like unilaterally, unilaterally making every single decision. I think along with that, obviously there was some disagreement about the coach. Uh, you know, I recorded some of this over the summer. Uh, you know, Kevin Ali, uh, you know, was somebody that Troy brought forward. And then there was, I think, probably some discomfort, you know, was having somebody come in who was that inexperienced, right? Uh, yeah, but I say that to say that Monty Williams was not purely just somebody that Tom Gores wanted. Everybody was in, including Trey, I believe, was completely, like, wanted Monty. And the, more so the issue early on was that he said no. But I think along with that, yeah, I mean, it's been a group effort. I wouldn't sit here and say that it's just simply Trey. Uh, you know, like Arn, you know, he's, he's somebody who holds influence, of course. Like, he's had a say in certain decisions. Ownership's still been involved on some level. Uh, this has all been a group effort. You know, I think maybe... Uh, some more friction has been reported this year, you know, just in a transitionary stage. But over the course of the, the rebuild, like they've uh, powwowed all of this, right? You know, I don't think anybody's made any moves just sort of on their lonesome. So, yeah, I mean, obviously you get to this point now and it's like you lose 23 straight and it probably makes uh, some of what was reported earlier. Like you mentioned the Jake Fish report, like it kind of makes that stand out more. But uh, I, I think the friction has probably been more outlier scenarios than probably what it seems like to get to 23 straight losses like it's everybody you know it's Tom Arn Troy you know all the people involved like everybody's involved in that players too it's it's a joint effort you know and I wouldn't say that it's just on Troy or on Tom or on, on one person like that's what I wrote today it's just it's a joint effort to get to this point and you really can't just put this on one person all right well we'll wrap it up there last thing I'll say is is that and again if you want to comment on this you can if not you can we can move on um, not only just with the coaching search, um, I've heard from over the last few months that there is disagreements about, 
And again, like you said, this happens in all front offices. It's not that just one person that decides everything. So it isn't like it's extremely uncommon. But there were like some, maybe like you mentioned the word friction, I guess, or disagreements on how to exactly attack the offseason. That some members maybe want to go this route. Some members want to maybe go that route. And now, like you said, you know, heading into the season, if everything was going fine, I don't think you hear anything about it because then it's like, okay, we end up going the right route anyways. But I think after losing 23 straight games, you're starting to hear maybe a little bit more about like, oh, we could have went and did this, I wanted to go do this, or you know, we heard that maybe this person wanted to go do that. Like, I think you start to hear a little bit more about that kind of stuff once you everything like, kind of blows up in your face. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, that, that's kind of what happens. Um, if you want to say anything to that, you can. If not, we can wrap it up there. No, yeah. I mean, again, it's a group effort to get to this point. Yeah, I think there's been uh, some friction, but I would say by and large, it's been a group effort to get to this point. You know, like I, I, like I could go through and list you know, certain scenarios where I know one person thought this, one person thought that, but they discuss everything and on some level they do get to the same page on it. So, yeah, I mean, you have disagreements. Like, I, to me, that just doesn't necessarily, to me, speak to anything abnormal. And it, I think it just looks a lot worse because the team hasn't been good, right? If they came out and they started off uh, 14 or 24 and, and 2, right? Like, nobody's even thinking about that, right? So I just think those things stand out more uh, when the team's in a state of, you know, I guess, whatever you want to call it, right, failure that they're in now, right? I think that stuff gets magnified after the fact. But off-run offices have both, like, p- people involved in those decisions, right? It's not too often that you just have one person you're the already saying, oh, we're going to do this or we're going to do that. All right, fair enough. We'll wrap it up yeah. there. Thank you, Omari, for coming on on the road in Atlanta, taking time out of your day. I asked Omari to record this the day of, and he was very nice and decided to do it for me. So I appreciate you a ton for doing that. Um, you guys can find Omari, obviously, over at the Detroit Free Press. You can find him on Twitter, at Omari Sankofa. You can also find him and our friend of the podcast, Bryce, over at the Pistons Pulse Podcast. Thank you, Omari, for coming on here, man. Thank you guys for making Lockdown Pistons your first listen of every single day. We're free to be on all your podcast platforms. Hit that subscribe button at the YouTube channel. Leave us a five-star review whatever podcast platform you're listening to us on. And until next time, I'll see you guys later. Stay safe out there. Until next time, peace out.